we come to the scripture, let me ask you please to bow and to pray with me. Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, I pray that uh, you would help us. Help us to think rightly about these things. Help us to feel rightly about these things. Enable us to respond rightly about all that's here. Bless in the richest and deepest sense of that word. Your word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Jeremiah in chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. I want to read uh, verses uh, 16 through 21. Jeremiah chapter 6 please. Hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I said a watchman over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we'll not pay attention. Therefore hear O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them? Here, O earth, behold, I'm bringing disaster upon this people, the fruits of their devices, because they've not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble, and fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend, shall perish. Hmm. Now, uh, this may feel like a bit of a regression to you. We made it all the way to chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago, and you may think, oh no, he's going back. And he is. Uh, chapter 7 is not only chronologically ahead, but in, in terms of numbers of chapters, but also in terms of time. Chapter 7, we looked at this temple sermon that Jeremiah preached. And it came during the days of King Jehoiakim, who was a bad king. He was a king that had re-established all the idolatrous practices of ancient Judah. He had allowed for idols to be put back into the temple and things were crumbling quickly in the reign of Jehoiakim. This particular moment in history comes under the reign of a king called Josiah, who was the king before Jehoiakim. He was the good king. He was the king who took all the idols out of the temple that had been put there by his grandfather. And he has been the ones who brought back to Judah the worship of God, said, here it is, come worship him. During his reign, early, relatively early in his reign, the word of God was found, the Torah, the Pentateuch, probably at least Deuteronomy, if not all the books of Moses, was found, go figure, in the temple. It had been neglected for years. And when it read it, thus all of these practices came into ancient Judah and their worship of God that that were not right, that were dishonoring to God, that were sinful. It caused God to be displeased, so displeased that he promised to bring judgment upon the people. But during the days of Josiah, the word of God was found. The temple worship was reinstituted. 
And now you see, Jeremiah speaks to the people. This is the latter time of Josiah's reign. When the word had been proclaimed, when the Passover had once again been celebrated, when the idols were out of the temple, when worship was available, if you will, to them in integrity and purity in the temple, and Jeremiah comes to the people and says, all right, now you're at a crossroads. And you know what a crossroad is. You're driving down one road and you see you can go another way, left or right. And you have to make a choice. You, you can't just continue on. You've got to go right or left. You have to make a choice about what you're really going to do. It isn't quite as easy as, you know, good old Yogi Berra, who said when you come to the fork in the road, <laughs> take it. Uh, because you can't, you can't do that. There, there's a fork in the road. You have to, you're at a crossroad. You're at a place where you have to decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? And he says, that's what you are in terms of ancient Judah. You're at this place. You're going to worship God or not. Are you going to realize what's happened under Josiah, under this great revival where you have the word of God and you have uh, worship in integrity and purity available to you in the the temple? Will you go there or not? It seems that ancient Israel was often at a crossroad. You might remember at the end of the life of Moses. They were at a crossroad. They had been led by Moses, God, but through Moses. And, and, and now Moses was, was going to die. He wasn't going to go into the land of promise with them, if you might remember that whole situation. But, but, but now they were at a crossroads. Listen how Moses puts it at the end of his life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. He said, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. In a sense, you're at a crossroad. I'm I'm laying this out before you. How are you going to live? Are you going to go this way of of life and good? Are you going to go this way of death and evil? He said, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But, this is that crossword part, but... Here's the one way. Here's the way of following after God. Here's the way of obedience, which leads, because obedience is blessing, leads to this blessing of God. But, verse 17, If your heart turns away and you are not here, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've said before you life and death, blessing and curse. So here's the crossword, life and death, blessing and curse. Life and good and blessing, death and evil and curse. Therefore, choose life, he says, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your father, forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them a crossroad. That cross, crossroad doesn't look like much of a decision. Choose life or death. <laughs> the problem is that we often misdefine those words, misunderstand those words. We think life means receiving that which makes me happy. That's which I want at the moment. That's life. So I'll choose that. Death is choosing what I don't want at the moment, what wouldn't make me happy, so I'm not going to choose that. So we say, well, of course I'll choose life. And Moses is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. Life means choosing God. Life means following Him. Life means doing that, thinking that, feeling that, 
which is pleasing to Him. That's real life. That's what you were meant for. But we often choose death because we think that's what we were meant for. Death in the sense of not following after God, but following after our own ways. So this is the real choice. Is you're going to follow your ways, you're going to follow God's. Where are you going to go with this? He says, but I can tell you this. If you go God's way, there's blessing in that. Because that's real life. But if you choose not to go God's way, there isn't blessing in that. Because that's real death. So follow after God. Another crosswords, crossroad. The life of Joshua, he followed uh, Moses. The end of his life, he lays it out for them as well. We know this, this is more common to us, I suppose, in Joshua in chapter 24. The end of his life, Joshua says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. He says, In a sense, I've brought you into this land. Moses didn't, I brought you into this land. Now, now you're at another crossroad. Everything is, is laid out. We've got every, all the territories the way they should be, and people are in the right places, just as God had promised. Now, how are you going to live in those places that God has given you? He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He had crossed that road, Joshua did for his family. He says, oh, we're on this side. We're going down this path. We're following after God. I don't know where you're going to be, he says, but you, but you need to consciously Enter in one or the other and be aware of that. Another crossword is 1 Kings chapter 18 in the days of Elijah the prophet. In those days there was a bad king in Israel named Ahab. And Ahab, had, Ahab had married a woman named Jezebel and she was a foreign woman outside of Israel. She brought into Israel in the worship of Israel false gods, most particularly this one whose name was Baal. There were many prophets of Baal, 450 ate at her table, big table it seems like, but she fed, she took care, meaning she supported 100%, 450 prophets of this false god. Elijah was a prophet and he knew that God wouldn't stand for that and so he confronts the people in Ahab's day. Verse 20 of 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people. And he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. So Elijah said, Okay, I've had it. We've gathered all the prophets of Baal, and here we are at Mount Carmel. If you know that scene, you understand what took place afterwards. But my point is simply this, that, that he lined them all up, all the Israelites and all of the others, and he says, Okay, why are you limping between two positions? There's a sense of crossroad here. Uh, I think there's a sense for us that we, even we limp sometimes between two positions. We look down the road and we say, I'm going to follow after God. And that seems to make sense and everything seems to be going all right. And, and then we look around and, and perhaps it doesn't seem to be going all right. Life seems to be difficult and other people seem to be getting along way better than we are. And so then we run the other way for a while with them. 
Uh, and then we go, oh, this isn't working out. I, I feel guilty. And so we confess and we repent. We run the other way. And then it gets a little down the road there. And we go, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. It's not all cracked up the way I think it should be. My life isn't being blessed the way I want it to be. And so we look the other way and we run the other way. And after a while, we just get exhausted and start limping. We don't really know which way to go. And, and there's no satisfaction in life at all. We're just limping between two positions. You get the sense from Elijah, says, if you keep doing that, you'll be destroyed. It'll destroy you. So, make a choice. You're going to go with Baal, you're going to go with God. If God is God, then go with him. If he's not, then leave him behind. And then he goes to prove <laughs> that God is God. A wonder about us. I think often that the kids that grew up in our church, I grew up in church, I know what that's like. The kids that grew up in our church, and, and sometimes I think kids limp between two positions. You have you know, what you hear in church and your parents' faith and all of that. And so for a while you run that way, but then you have your friends and, and then perhaps something secret going on in your own mind and life. And you run that way as well, and you're young enough and spirited enough, and, and you get it enough that you can fool both sides. But after a while, you just can't do that anymore. And you begin limping between two positions. And you come, even as a young person, you come to this crossword. Which way am I really going to go? And Jeremiah says, don't put that off. Here you are. God is God. Follow him. That crossroad. We think about. I think about that in the midst of temptations when they come. It's it's sort of like a mini crossroad at that point in time. Oh, I may have already made that that that, that sense of following after God, but but, but in a in a t- particular temptation that arises in the context of my life, there seems to be a crossroad at that moment in time. Which way am I going to go? How am I going to do this? How is this going to play out? Am I going to follow after God? Am I going to trust in Him? Am I going to go His way or not? Somebody hurts us, we say, am I going to follow after God and forgive? Or am I not? And I'm going to continue on in anger and bitterness and pray for revenge. How am I going to go in the midst of that? We find these crossroads coming up in our lives all the time. Jeremiah says, watch your step. So he lays it out, sort of like his, like our parents did when they taught us to cross the street. He says, stop, look, and listen. I don't know about you, but that's what I was taught as a kid, that when you come to a crossroad, when you have to, 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 to cross over a road or take a different path, you should stop, should look, and you should listen. Stop, assess your situation. Where am I really going? Uh, look, make sure there are no cars coming. They're going to mow you down or trucks. And listen, because maybe you're not seeing, but you could hear something. And so he says, I want you to stop in the midst of this. Notice, notice how he puts it. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. So I want you to stand by the road and and look. Assess your life. Who do you trust? Assess your life. Who is it that you're really, really following? And he says, "I've, I've sent watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. He said, I've sent real prophets before. You listen to false prophets, but, but I've sent real prophets to you, the watchmen, and, and they've sounded the trumpet. They've, 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 they've said, look at this, the trumpet is blasted. And of course, when the trumpet would blast in ancient Israel, it would often blast for a time of feast. 
It would mark God's covenant with them. It would mark God's promises with them. And so the the prophets would come to say, think about who you are. Think about the promise of God. God has promised to be your God for you to be his people. And, And look at how he's laid that out for you. He's given you his law that you might follow, that you might be blessed. But even if you break it, he said that still come to me, repent, and I'll forgive your sin. I'll take the life of another for you. That's the way of God. And even in the midst of our sin, he's merciful and compassionate and forgiving to us. He's made a way for us to be, to live in his presence. And he said, remember, when 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 you celebrate the Passover... When you come to that great feast, you should pay attention to it. You should listen to it. Because that is telling you that God is your Savior. God is your Redeemer. He's the one who takes you out of slavery. He's the one who spares your life. And anyone who would read that Passover story that took place in that first Passover in ancient Egypt would understand, yes, God is my Savior. Why did my people live and the Egyptians die? What was the difference between us and them? One difference is God heard our prayers as we cried out to Him. Another difference was God took an animal and killed it instead of us. And he put the blood on our, uh, we put the blood on our thresholds so that we could live under this blood and a life had been taken so the angel of death passed over us. We were saved. It's as if he bought us with that other animal. He bought us with that lamb and we were free to go and we did. And so think of that way, the way of God. Then we celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, this, this time when, when we gather together. And in those days, they made little, little tents or booths out of mud and leaves and so forth. And that was to illustrate, that was to cause them to remember what it was like in the days in the wilderness. And what they were to think through in those days as they lived in those little booths, those little tents, those little huts. What they were to think through was, God is my provider. He provided for me. He protected me in the midst of the wilderness and brought me through all of that into this land of promise. He says, think about that. That's your God. Living with Him is living under and in that God. And then the great feast of Pentecost, which is a great celebration of the barley feast. And they'd come in and, and God is saying, look, I'm with you. Don't you see it? Don't you understand? I'm with you. I provide for you. Trust me. And so these prophets and these trumpets sounding and, 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 and all of that were to remind the people that of God's covenant with them, that he would be their God, they would be his people. And God, in a sense, would say, why not, shouldn't you come and follow me? Why would you follow any other? The, the problem with idolatry, that is, trusting in anyone other than God, is that these idols are never any stronger, never any wiser than we are. Because they're out of our own minds. Because we make them and anoint them as king and we follow after them. Whereas God, whom we did not make, is greater than we could ever imagine or think. And so he's the one who's compassionate. He's the one who's kind. He's the one who's forgiving. He's the one who's gracious. He's the one who's loving. And it's in him 
the Prophet says, where we find rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. Rest not in the sense of sleep, that kind of rest, but rest in the sense of rest from our enemies, rest from this sense of weariness, of of burden. You know, there's a huge difference between being weary, technically, and being tired. Tired is something we all should feel every night. We should all feel tired at night, at the end of the day. That's why we go to sleep. And if you don't feel tired at the end of the day, it's probably because... Well, maybe you wasted that day, right? But weary is different. Weary comes from a burden. You can be tired and not weary. You can be wearied and not tired. Weary comes from this sense of stress, this sense of anxiety, this sense of worry, this sense of, of, of looking and seeing my weakness, this sense of feeling that I'm under something that's heavier than I am and it's going to crush me, therefore I'm weary. Sometimes we put this weariness on ourselves because we worry about things we ought not worry about. Other times it comes from real life. It comes from the real stressful aspects of life. When you look at life and you look at yourself, you realize that there are things out there way bigger, way stronger than you are. Way smarter, way wiser. Well, you know, and so you can feel under that, whether it's a sense of at work, whether it's a sense of at school, and you know your weakness and you know how insecure all of that is in the context of your own life. Whether it's if you look at your body and realize illness could strike at any moment in time that could debilitate you. And then that can create a sense, a deep sense of weariness, being under that kind of stress, that kind of anxiety, mainly in the context of a relationship, that you really don't know how this relationship is going to work, even though you know it must work, whether it's with your wife or with your husband or with your children or with your parents or with friends, and you see those relationships and you say, they must work, I just don't see how they're going to work, and you get this huge sense of weariness about that. It burdens you, it troubles you. And then the the burden, of course, the most basic burden of all is that burden of sin when we recognize that God is holy and we're not. We recognize that God is pure and we've sinned against Him. There can be a burden about that. How is this sin ever going to be dealt with? How is it ever going to be taken care of? How will I ever face God? That's the deep internal lurking burden in the soul of everyone that you either deal with or cover up in some way. But it's there in the hearts and lives of every human being and creates all kinds of behavioral issues. And God says, you come down my path, the ancient path, the well-worn path, the path that's trustworthy, the path that I've laid out. You take that road, those ancient paths, those everlasting paths, and you'll find rest Fear of souls. Why? Because it's there you'll find God. The one who loves you. One who really loves you. And, and, and because He loves you, you see, He has this deep desire to do for you that which is best. He loves you. That's what love really ultimately comes down to. Love is, I desire to do the best for another. I'll never forget, I was watching a television show and they were interviewing a young man <clears throat> who was about to be married and, 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 and the interviewer said, so why do you want to marry this woman? And he says, oh, because she's always there for me. And the interviewer says, well, then you love her. And he says, yes, I love her. But that was a huge non sequitur. 
All he said was, she loves me. He never said, I love being there for her. He never said, I'm always there for her. I'm going to spend the rest of my life being there for her. Now that's love. He said, desiring her best. <laughs> All he said was, she loves me. So I like that. So I'll marry that one. First one I found like that. <laughs> it, it won't last. But, and God loves us, you see. He says, if I'm for you, who can be against you? And the depth of that sense, if I'm, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the depth of that. God is for us. He's the one who loves us. Thus, when He's for us, He has this deep desire for our good. And not only that, because it's God, He's infinitely wise. So not only does He have this deep desire for our good, but He has a deep wisdom, a perfect wisdom, an infinite wisdom about what really is good for us. And He's so wise, He knows precisely how to get us there into that good. Right? So He loves us deep desire, perfect desire for our good. Wise, knows exactly what good is for us and how to get us there. And both of those are wonderful. But it's the third one with that that makes it all work. It brings rest to our souls because He's almighty. He is sovereign over everything and nothing can thwart His purpose. If His purpose is to be for us, if His purpose is to do good to us, if His purpose is our good that brings Him glory, and He's wise in all ways, He will bring it about. That is what brings rest to our souls. Because I know then, whatever happens in the context of my life, I might be tired, I might be confused, might be frustrated, might be all of that, might be ravaged with pain, physical pain, emotional pain even. But then comes this sense of who God is, and He says, trust me. If you're on this ancient path, if you're on this path with me, if you're in covenant with me, if I'm your God and you belong to me, then... Be at rest. I know what's best. I desire your good. And I'm almighty. So if you're here in the midst of this, trust me. Be at peace. Now, Jeremiah says, that's the ancient path, the covenant way of God. He says, that's the good way, walk in it. And we know this good way, we know this good way that we're to walk in because it's laid out for us in God's word to us. Notice how he puts it in verse 17. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we'll not pay attention. He says, I've given you my word, I've spoken to you. Pay attention. Then verse 19, hear, O earth, Behold, I'm bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they've not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they've rejected it. He says, the ancient paths, where is the ancient paths found? Where do we go when we ask for the ancient paths? We go to the Word of God. Go right there. We, we read of these ancient paths this morning. We could have picked from hundreds of passages Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. 
then when the law of the Lord is spoken there, it doesn't mean simply these commandments. Yes, it means that to obey God, but it means something bigger than that. There's this law of God that is His covenant, His promise. His promise to be our God for us to be His people. And He makes that covenant promise and He fulfills it by way of sacrifice. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole hearts. And then the prayer, make me know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. You come along the crossword. What's the prayer of the heart? The prayer of the heart is, God, teach me. God, teach me. God, show me. God, be with me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They're the very joy of my, of my heart. We see this, for instance, in that psalm that is most well-loved, I think. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, beside quiet waters. He restores my, my soul. This one who is my shepherd, this one who looks out for me, this one who is at watch, this one who leads, this one who directs, this one who cares, this one whose life is given so that... The sheep so that I may live. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The right paths, the good paths. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, that's great. It sounds wonderful. But then you ask the question, but what when real difficult, difficult times come? But what happens then? So he says, oh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, all right, I'll give you a worst case scenario. You want to know what it's like? I'll give you a worst case scenario. Let's say that you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's what you will say. I'll fear no evil. How can that be? Because you're with me. Because I belong to you. Because I know that you love me. And have my best interest in mind. I know that you're wise. And know exactly what's best for me, what brings good to me, and how to get me there. And I know that you're sovereign, that you're almighty, that nothing can thwart you. Therefore, if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I know that I'm there because you have supervised circumstances in a way that I'm there. Let me just give a personal note. I learned... A couple of months ago, that one of the doctors was surprised at my res- response when he told me to notify the children that Karen was going to die. Uh, my response was to say, All right. Uh, I wept when I talked to the children, not with him. And later he asked about that response, and I said, Well, I was in a place. And God was with us. We needn't fear. No, that doesn't mean everyone reacts as like I do. If a bomb goes off around me, I don't always jump. That's just my personality. But for all of us, we must realize that even then, the blessedness of God's covenant with us, the rest for our souls is to know that He's with us. To know that He loves us. To know that He's wise. 
to know that he's almighty, to know that he's good. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for God is with us. His rod, his staff, he's our shepherd. So he beats the enemy over the head with his rod. He pulls us out with his staff. His rod and his staff, they comfort me, knowing he has all the weapons he needs. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Indeed, he's able to prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. He says, I know death is here, your enemies are here, temptation is here, insecurity is here, the world is pressing against you, and all that's there, all the things that will go wrong as we define wrong in the course of life to us, it's all out there. He says, but I want you to sit here and eat. I want you to sit here and be nourished. I want you to sit here and even feast. I, I want you to be here in the presence of your enemy. Don't let them see you sweat because you need to sweat because I'm with you. He anoints our head with oil. That cup overflows. And he says, I want to tell you this. Goodness and mercy will always follow you, most certainly follow you. If you wonder who's tracking you in your life, it's goodness and mercy from God. If you wonder who's biting at your heels, it's goodness and mercy from God. And he says, and I'll tell you this, you'll live in my house forever. Don't fret. Don't fret. Have rest for your souls. That's the rest. Now, you're saying it's all well and good to talk about, and I get it. I understand that. I know that's not necessarily our first response. But you see, at the crossroads, sometimes you come to that crossroads, and it is confusing, and you are worried, and you are anxious. You go, which way should I go? What's the deal here? And then it comes to mind, God's way. I'll follow after Him. I belong to Him. His covenant, He's promised to be with me. He says He loves me. He says that that He's wise, and, and He's almighty, and nothing can thwart Him. And thus, He's at work bringing all this to bear in the context of my, of my life, in the context of our lives. So we needn't fret. We can rest. That's where you find rest for your souls, he said. And we know this so better than they. Because the ancient path has come. <laughs> the Lord Jesus has come. It all comes, you remember, in him. He tells his disciples... In John chapter 14, we read some of this. He said, it's about he was to be crucified. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll, I'll come again. I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. He says, I'm with you. And you will dwell in my house forever. And you know the way, he says, to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord... We don't know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the ancient path. I'm the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, this ancient path is exclusive. (laughs) There isn't all kinds of different ways. So it's referred to in Jeremiah in the plural ancient paths, but, but they'll take us, winding us through our lives, this path. But, but Jesus said it's exclusive. That's the deal here. There, there isn't, it's a crossroads. It's this way or that way. It's a me or, or not. And he said that, that that's the ancient way. There isn't more than one in our days where so many ways, it seems, even in the context of what's called the church, there are various 
various ways. Sad, sad, sad survey. I, I don't trust surveys generally because uh, theologians and those they employ are normally bad statisticians uh, if you look at their way they do things. Uh, but uh, I've seen this firsthand in a um, non-evangelical denomination. 60% of the pastors said that they do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Is that amazing? But it's true, you see. It's true in the sense that that's what is believed. False, of course, in the reality of things. But that sense. And so Jesus said, no, no, I'm the way. You're going to follow me or not. That's the crossword. It's me or nothing. It's life or death. It's good or evil. It's blessing or curse. That's the crossroad. Jesus was clear about that. You remember there was a time in his life when he told the disciples that they would need to, to follow after him. He put it, see, he's talking about being the bread of life in John chapter 6, and, and he puts it in, in metaphorical language, but we understand what he means. Verse 52, then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man uh, give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You must eat me in the sense, eat of me, meaning believe in me. That was the meaning there. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For f- my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks, and my blood abides in me, and I in him. Of course, Jesus isn't trying to be grotesque here. He's not. He's being metaphorical. He's using an image, a figure of speech, saying, believe in me, trust me, take me all in. As a living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. There's only life in me. You must feed from me, believe in me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. These words, the very words of God. I, the very word of God before you. I, the very way, the truth, the reliable source from God. Life. These words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus would say, it's either me or that highway. It's either me or not. Follow me or not. This was a crossroad, even in the early ministry of Jesus. Some of who had called themselves disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Crossroad. What are you going to do? Guys, 12, what are you going to do? I just made a statement that sent some away. I just made a statement that it's either me and life or the other way in death. What about it? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know 
that you are the Holy One of God. I see that's the crossroad for us always. Jesus said, you're going to go? You're going to stay. You're going to believe. You're going to trust. You're going to walk with me. Just because walking with me is life. That life was trumpeted to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. They were there for the Passover, what they understood to be the Passover. They understood probably the meaning of that. If pressed, they could rehearse it. If pressed, they could say, yes, this was a time when God saved us. God redeemed us from slavery. They might have even caught slavery to sin, certainly slavery in the context of the Egyptians. But Jesus was at that table where the bread and wine was. And on that night he took it and he said, this is my body, this bread, which is given for you. He says, remember me every time you do this. In the same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant, promise of God. The great covenant, God saying, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I'll be with you always. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. You belong to me. I'm your Savior. There's forgiveness with me. The deepest burden of your soul the greatest weariness that a human heart can know. Guilt. Real guilt. He says, I've, I'll take away. I'll pay it. It's clean. It's gone. Trust me. The ancient path of God's way. The ancient path. The well-worn path. The reliable path. The word of God established way of honesty. God is just. He's righteous. He's holy. He can't abide sin. We're unholy. Live in sin. What shall we do? He says, oh, trust me. The ancient way, God says, I will take it. I will pay it. I'll relieve the deepest burden of your soul and I will give you rest. And in taking the deepest burden of your soul, this guilt that's before you, trust me in all things that I'm for you. Who can be against you? That that I've come. I haven't spared my own son, but I gave him up. How will I, not along with him, give you all that you need? Trust me. Walk with me. The ancient path. No other way. No other way needed. No other problem to be solved. No other way to do it. Trust me, he said. Find rest in every circumstance, in every situation. Come to me, he said. All you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Join up with me. My burden's easy. Light, you find rest for your souls. Let's pray, Father. Crossroads. 
Perhaps for some, even now, crossroads, am I going to follow Christ or not? We know. To some regard, our own hearts, please reveal to us clearly our own hearts. For some, no doubt, it's this tension felt for a long time. Follow Christ or not. For others, oh, following Christ is not the question per se, but it's what about this temptation? What about that? What about this behavior? What about that? What about this fear? What about that? What about this anxiety? What about that? What about this guilt? What about that? So, Father, I pray for each of us that we lay before you our very lives. We trust in you. And that you would grant rest to us in our souls. Even this morning, God, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever it is we anticipate dealing with, when we come and lay it before you, trust that you love us, that you're wise, know what's best and how to get there, and you will. Give us that sense of assurance and rest. Take this bread, this juice, set it apart, God, in such a way. It would enable us to know that Jesus is here present among us. He's as close to us as this bread and this juice is. That as we feel it, as we taste it, as we swallow it. Yet we know that he's as close to us. For he abides in us. And we in him. Thus, he is our shepherd. He does lead us. He does restore our souls. He does protect and provide. And with him we shall dwell. This we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you, this table isn't the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in His sight, without hope, except in His sovereign mercy. All those who believe and depend upon Him, as He's offered to us in the Gospel as the Savior of sinners. And all those who desire to live along the ancient path of faith in Jesus. That's true for you. Please come. These two sections can come down the aisle to my left. These they aisle, down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And if you do, say yes. Jesus is the rest for my soul. Please come.